Hello. It's us. We're back. Here we are, you and me. Whether you're doing the dishes or like going on a walk, maybe riding in the car, here we are together again. And it is a pleasure to do this. Uh, this exploring faith, pursuing grace thing is, is a whole lot of fun, you know? And I'm glad that I get to do it with you. Seriously. It really is a blast. Hey, today is uh, another one of those kind of in-between episodes. That is, I asked you guys uh, who are on the Facebook page if you have any questions or comments, and some of you answered back and said, yeah, we got some stuff. We're not going to get to that quite yet today. It's been a bit of a uh, tough week for me here. We've got uh, Memorial Day on Monday, and then I I went to the office on Tuesday, and I'm like, yeah, today's going to be awesome. We're going to do our Tuesday morning Bible study, and you know, write my sermon and record the podcast and blah, 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 blah. And no, because my son got another ear infection. <laughs> so I had to go pick him up uh, almost instantly when I got to the office on Tuesday. So uh, then after that, you know, we had to go to the doctor today and all that sort of stuff. And so it's just been crazy. So we're not doing any uh, talk on elders today or the Holy Spirit or why doesn't God answer and a few other questions that people asked. But those are in the future. Instead, what I want to talk about today are uh, it's this thing that I've noticed for a while, and I feel like it would be helpful for you to be aware of it so that when it happens to you, that you'll be able to acknowledge it and name it, kind of laugh at it for a second, and then uh, move beyond it. And that's how, excuse me, that's how previous interpretations that we've held, right? Like how we were taught to read the Bible. Even if we no longer hold those interpretations today, right? We've moved beyond them. We've rethought them. We've done studies. We've listened to podcasts, maybe like this one, and now we, we don't hold those anymore. They still impact the stories that we tell ourselves, and because of that negative influence, right? Because of that negative influence on us, they, they bring us down. And they affect how we view God, how we view each other, how we view ourselves. So we have to be aware that just because you've rethought something, just because you no longer believe a passage means what you used to believe it means, doesn't mean that you're like cured. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you're better, so to speak. That is like you still may be dealing with some of the repercussions from that worldview that you're not even consciously aware of. Uh, in his book, Faith After Doubt, my friend Brian McLaren calls this the inner fundamentalist. It's whenever we have that little voice in our head, that little inner Pharisee, the inner legalist. It's like, yeah, but is it authorized? You're like, what? What was is it authorized? <laughs> that's not a question. That's not a question we ask so much anymore. Is it authorized? What are you talking about? Like, but it happens. It happens because, because of how we've been trained and conditioned. It's not something you can just get over by listening to a podcast, right? It's not something you can get over by just doing a little Bible study, you know, or going to a grace-centered church or whatever, right? It takes time. So to talk about this, we need to talk about Scripture. And to talk about this, we need to uh, talk about context, the two different kinds of context. And then we'll kind of give an example of this phenomenon, and then uh, we can move on. 
and you'll have the day to yourself. So first off, scripture. So the Bible is divided into different sections, or you might even take it as a whole, right? You might look at, at uh, the whole Bible itself. And then we have the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? The Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures or whatever, however you want to label those. And then the step beneath that are like sections of scripture, minor prophets, letters, uh, like history, law, whatever, right? Poetry. And then you move down even further than that. And you might have books or even like sets of books, like First and Second Corinthians or... First and Second Thessalonians. It's like a little bit less than, you know, here are the minor prophets or here are the major prophets. And it could be something like, oh, here's Luke Acts, right? And within these sections, obviously, you have the books themselves. And then within these books, you have chapters. But you might not even like divide it by chapter. You might divide it like in an outline form if you have a section that seems to go together. Even if like there's a chapter division there, you might still put all the text together, right? So, these different divisions of scripture kind of help us to picture what we're doing when we're talking about interpreting the Bible, right? Like, are we taking into account not just the book that it's in, but perhaps the body of literature that it's in? If it's the first epistles that Paul wrote, uh, first and second Thessalonians, Romans, first and second Corinthians and Galatians, or are we talking about uh, maybe Poetry, and we need to take into account how these different motifs or themes or symbols are used elsewhere within the poetic books. We have to take that stuff into account. We can't just jump in and think, oh, I've got the book down, so we're good to go. Or, oh, okay, I've got this chapter down, so we're good to go. We need to consider what the bigger layers are, right? So when you go down from sections and chapters, you get down to maybe like subsections, a pericope, like a like a set of verses. Like, okay, we're in Matthew 13, but we're going to study uh, the parable of the sower, right? And then even within there, you have paragraphs, right? And in these paragraphs, you have verses. In these verses, you have sentences. In these sentences, you have phrases. And in these phrases, you have words. And in these words, you have endings that indicate the type of noun that it is, the type of verb that it is, how it functions in the sentence. I mean, there's, there's a lot there, right? And so when we think about the complexity of Scripture, we understand that the words are necessary parts to build the phrases and the sentences all the way up to the Bible itself. At the same time, though, the tree can work backwards and understand that the Bible itself, if it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, if it's in a particular section of Scripture, a particular genre of Scripture, a particular time period in which a Scripture was written, or whatever, may dictate how you understand that word, right? That's what we mean by context. So if you're studying something in Revelation, yeah, you need to understand how that passage uh, uses that word in Revelation, but it could also be that a passage from another book of the Bible, maybe written by John, would help influence how you understand and define that particular word, right? So that's that's what we talk about when we talk about context. And that's all fine and good. But there's another element to context that sometimes we miss out on. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm no longer talking about the biblical audience. Yes, you need to know the actual context of the passage. Yes, you need to know the historical context, the time period, uh, to whom the letter was written, who's writing the letter. 
what's their previous experience? I mean, there's, there's no end to the questions that you ask about a particular passage, and that's what makes the Bible so compelling. And that's why people can study their entire lives and study other people's writings who's also studied their entire lives and never get to the end of it because it's it's it, it goes on forever. You can go as you can fly as high as you want and you can fly as close to the surface as you want. You can dig beneath the surface if you want to. But we also have our own context. And this is where we talk about pre-understandings or presuppositions. And yet I, I think Sometimes we just throw that word out there. Oh, we have to watch out. We, we have pre-understandings. We have presuppositions or whatever. Yeah, but do we really pay attention to that or do we just let that slide? Let me give you an example, and then I'll talk, talk about it a little bit more. If I ask you if your church is divided, like wherever you go to church, you got a house church, you got to go to a big congregation, you go to a small congregation. Are you guys divided right now? You're dealing with some, divi- you're dealing with some divisions? You might answer yes. You might think about disagreements that are at the church. You might think about maybe there's a conservative side and a progressive side. Or maybe they're not conservative, so to speak. Maybe they're like traditional, right? They don't hold it legalistically per se, but that's what they prefer. So like, you got, oh, you got this side and that side. Are you divided? You might, you might answer yes. But do we understand that when we use that word divided, we may not be using that word the way that, say, Paul uses it or the way that, say, Jesus might use it. But instead, we're using that word in the way that we would use it. <laughs> like, that's obvious, right? But, but when you realize that, there should be alarms going off. Like, wait a minute. Am I even using this word correctly? We might think about the context uh, in which we use that word may come from dozens and dozens of sermons, Bible classes, Lectureships, gospel meetings, VBSs, pew packers classes, conversations, fixtures of men courses. I mean, who knows? Who knows where you picked up on what it means for a church or for a body of believers to be divided? Think about the sermons. Why are there so many churches? Why is there so much division? You know, just because there's lots of different locations where people meet doesn't mean that there's division, right? Like, churches cooperate with each other all the time. Does that mean they're, they're divided because they go to two different buildings? But you see, you've been trained to understand the word division in a certain way. So you can't help it. And so when you use the word divided or divided, you're invoking a context that you may not even be aware of. Let me, let me throw a few phrases out there. We should all speak the same thing. We should, we should be united in the same mind. We should have the same judgment. Does that sound familiar? That's 1 Corinthians 1.10. So, so when you say we're divided, subconsciously, you may be saying, oh, we're not speaking the same thing. Oh, oh and, by, and by that you mean we're not interpreting this the same way or understanding it the same way or talking in the same way, <laughs> using the same language to describe whatever this issue is. You see what I mean? Oh, we're not, we're not judging the situation the same, so we must have division. But your, your definitions here don't come from how Paul was using these words in 1 Corinthians 1.10. They're coming from how you were taught to use these words. And you might not even be using these words specifically, but it's all packed in to this word division. 
And because you were trained to define division in this way, you're not even thinking about the definition when you're using the word division, but you're using it and it's painting uh, the picture in a certain way that makes cooperation even harder. Because now the story that you're telling yourself is, oh, we're divided. And when that starts to happen, you begin to use all kinds of ugly language, us versus them, their side, our side. You start using labels to fit people into groups, in groups and out groups, and then judging and condemning or maybe maybe uh, forgetting or forsaking that group, whatever it is. You see what happens here? You see how easy we can slip into this old way of thinking and we don't even realize it? Like we're just, we're just falling back into this old sectarian way of thinking. We're the one true church. We, don't, we might not use that language or believe that that language is helpful. But when we start using words without considering the baggage that the word has, regardless of how much study we've done. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's when it slips in and gets you. Yep. That's when you start turning Christian brothers and sisters into enemies, right? So the stories we tell ourselves. So, so imagine, imagine you say things like, oh yeah, nothing ever good happens to me. Ugh, I ne- Man, I never get a break. Those kind of expressions. Well, guess what? Yeah, if you say that about yourself, then guess what? You're, you're probably never going to get a break, right? <laughs> Bad stuff is probably going to keep happening to you. And this is what happens when we allow these definitions that we've been handed down and we're not even aware we're using the words in this way to tell our stories, to paint the picture for us. Yeah, you thought that this thing that you're dealing with divides you, so you use this language, oh, this is dividing us, and now guess what? Now you actually have division. Before you, you didn't actually have division. You just had an issue. You just had conflict. That's not division. But when you begin to use the language us versus them, in and out, our way, their way, progressives, liberals, conservatives, traditionalists, legalists. Okay, now now we've moved away from being a congregation, and now we've moved into factions. You see what happens? See how, how uh, difficult that is? And so then we tell people, we say, hey, you know, you could be on my side if you would just interpret that scripture in context. But what's funny about that is we don't mean... <laughs> hey, you should go and read that scripture within its context, consider the historical setting, consider uh, the grammatical features of the text, you know, parse the verbs. Like, that's not what we mean. What we mean is, don't forget to interpret the text like I showed you. (laughs) Remember, we all know how to interpret this. Think about it in context. In other words, we know how this goes. Just go read the passage. You know what it means. But we, but we don't know what it means. We know what we've been told that it means, and we've been told that the what we've been told that it means is the only way to understand it. So that's what people mean when they say interpret the text in context. They don't mean interpret the text in the context of the scripture. They mean interpret the context within the context we've set up for you in years and years of conditioning and programming and and setting you up and giving you a system of hermeneutics, a system of Bible study that always produces the answers that we want it to. So that's what happens in Scripture. When we're studying Scripture, if we ask certain questions of the Scripture, we're going to get certain answers. If you presuppose that you have to have a positive command for playing instruments in the New Testament, even if that 
question isn't valid itself, guess what happens when you go to read the New Testament? You're not going to find a positive command to worship with instruments in a Sunday morning worship service. (laughs) But is the question even valid? So when we say interpret the scripture in context, what we mean is, remember how I told you to read that passage and read it that way, right? So we end up using words like division, like repentance, like confession, uh, like forgiveness, like worship. We use these words without even thinking about it. And when we, and when we use these words, we've been handed down and, inter- and they've been interpreted for us, regardless of whether or not the interpretation or the definition is legitimate that we've been given. When we use these words, especially with people who think like we maybe used to have thought, all we do is reinforce the way that they think, but also reinforce these stories that we tell ourselves. They give us a negative view of God. They give us a negative view of ourselves even. Shame, anxiety, too much pressure on ourselves, perfection. Yeah, that's what happens. So think about 1 Corinthians 1.10. All right. So Paul tells the church there, brothers and sisters, right? He says he's heard about them. There's divisions among them. There's, there's some schisms there. They're not speaking the same thing, and they're not speaking with the same mind and the same judgment. And oh, Chloe's house, oh yep, Chloe's house, she apparently had her own house church there in Corinth. She ran, and oh, Chloe's house, they've been telling Paul that, yeah, there's some contentions there in Corinth. So if you just stop there, oh, not speaking the same thing, not having the same judgment, and just blanket apply that to everything in the universe from worship services to uh, plan of salvation to what name you put on the sign outside the building like how is that even in paul's mind right so that's interpreting the bible in your context not in paul's context yeah which by the way you can interpret the bible outside of your own context right you you just do not exist in a vacuum like if we were to break down all the positions that i hold i could point very very specifically to times, to places, to events, to the very reasons why I believe some of the things that I do, right? Uh, so anyways, yeah, First Corinthians 1.10, let there be no divisions among you. Speak the same thing. What's he talking about? Like, is, is Paul looking forward to the Reformation movement and all the different denominations and blah, 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 blah? No. He tells you what he's talking about in like the very next passage, what, 12 and 13, some of you guys are saying, I'm of Christ, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Apollos. What, did did Paul die for you? <laughs> were you baptized in the name of Paul? What are you doing? So when he says, speak the same thing, be of the same mind, be of the same judgment, what he means by that is, all of you need to say, I'm of Christ. Now, here's what it does when you go back and you remind yourself that that's what the passage says. See, It's not just enough to know the passage. You need to remind yourself about it what he's actually saying there. And then you need to go, okay, divisions is people saying, I am of Christ, I am of Paul, I am of Cephas, I am of Apollos. Unity then is everybody saying, I am of Christ. That's what it means to be of the same mind and to speak the same thing. Like literally, that's what you're saying. I am of Christ. You see, how easy is that? But now when you flip the definition and the word comes up again, okay, right? So now you're at church and like you're talking about something and 
there's a debate that comes up about some passage. Oh, we're so divided. As soon as that word hits your brain, divided, it's like, wait, no, wait. Does this person say, I'm of Christ? Oh, okay, wait. Maybe, now we might not, you might not have unity, right? But there may be more unity there than you think, right? That there might be a bigger potential for unity if you kind of reset it and go, oh, yes, that's right. I'm doing the definition thing. I'm using old words in old ways. Even though I've changed my mind on what these passages mean, I'm still carrying the definitions with me. Let me take a second here to reprogram this, re- reframe this. Okay, yes, we would both say I'm of Christ. Now we can have a conversation. You see, it's not so bad, is it? Right? That wasn't so hard. But think about how many texts are out there that give us language, narrow way. Ooh, yeah, there's one. Few there be that find it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the churches of Christ salute you. Mark those that cause division. Obey them that have rule over you. Uh, if anyone brings any other doctrine or any other gospel. Yeah, all these passages, these proof texts that we've all got memorized that have been crammed into our school, reiterated over and over again and, and sermon after sermon and gospel meeting after gospel meeting. Like there's a reason why every gospel meeting speaker gives the same five sermons. It's to put all this into your brain and keep it there. Hammer it home. Makes it hard to read the Bible. Makes it hard to listen to sermons. Makes it hard to speak. Because you're constantly having to, to, to clarify what you're saying, to define what you're saying. You don't want people to misunderstand, but it's so hard to get away from the language, right? The insider language we've been given. So yeah. Oof, man, I tell you what, this is, uh, this is tough. It's, it's tough because it means admitting that, oh, wow, we might not be as far along as we think. <laughs> and who wants to admit that, right? Who wants to admit that? But it's important. It's an important part, important step towards healing. Yeah. Think so think about some words you use. Maybe use the word division. Maybe talk about worship service. Ugh, where's that in the Bible? Plan of salvation. Where's that in scripture? Plan of salvation. Yeah, I don't know. I can't find it. Uh, one of my uh friends, Dallas Burdett, he told me that he was in a classroom and uh there was a popular Memphis school of preaching guy teaching the classroom. And he had the pl- it had plan of salvation over the blackboard, kind of where the kids would put the ABCs in their classrooms, you know, like a teacher's classroom. And had plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. And he raised his hand and he said, wait, I, I thought God's plan of salvation was Jesus. <laughs> oh, but you see, like we, we use all these phrases and they're so loaded. Oh, they're so loaded. So we have to be careful. Like, we have, to, we have to be careful of what we're doing, what words we use. They matter. The definitions matter. And it can either reinforce bad stories, bad vibes, or it can liberate us and set us free. But we have to unmask it and name it and be aware of it. Not so that we can beat ourselves up and we fall prey to this thing, but so that we can recognize it when it comes around and said, oh, it's you again, my inner fundamentalist. Uh, my inner Pharisee, you've brought back these definitions. Let's let's think about them for just a second before we use this word again. Before we talk about this way, talk this way about our brother or sister again. Let's let's think about this word. See if we can't disarm it. 
Yeah, that's what you got to do. All right. Next time. Next time. Elders. How does that sound? Have a great day. God bless.